Top of the afternoon or evening to you, whichever is applicable from where you are. Welcome aboard, loved one, friends, and listeners all over the world. Time for this May 12, 2020 episode of Marriage and Family Clinic. You found us on your radio on WGPL, WPCE, and WBXBAM here in Southern Virginia and Northeastern North Carolina. You can also hear us on the internet at www.christianbroadcastingcompany.com. If you would like to hear this or any other broadcast, you can find our podcast by searching C.D. Hodges on either iTunes or any podcast player on your smart devices. You'll find us there, Marriage and Family Clinic. Marriage and Family Clinic is here to help you break down and gain enlightenment into your relationship dynamics. We hope to help you identify what makes you tick and ultimately help you repair, grow, and perfect your marriage and family relationships. You know, the nation's political leaders are busy trying to determine how to open the country up while we're still contending with COVID-19. Any serious look at the situation will quickly understand that it's really touch and go, uh, and it deserves the most serious intentional deliberation and a comprehensive planning uh, in order to get things going. Unfortunately, these seem like concepts that escape a good number of our current political leaders, and we can only pray that they will give it the time and the attention that it deserves. So keep them in prayer. Keep our political leaders in prayer that God would grant them the wisdom to deal with this crisis and others that will definitely arise at some point in the future. And with all of the back and forth, the confusion, the special interest, the jockeying for position, all the other hoopla that's going on, I really encourage you all to be in constant prayer for our political leaders and for our nation at large. And then we also have people who are getting worn out spending so much time at home. Uh, We have a a rise, statistics says, in domestic violence, and that's the result of people not knowing people whom they're required to spend so much time with. And it's so easy to get on one another's nerves if you haven't nurtured a uh, fulfilling relationships. And so with that going on in your haste to get out and about, please don't make hasty decisions about your activities. And again, be prayerful, be deliberate, be intentional not emotional. Between uh, this pandemic and and other things going on, things your life can turn topsy-turvy in a matter of moments. Now, we're in this series on personal finances, and I've already spent an episode on budgeting. And last week, I strongly encouraged you to evolve in your definition of wealth. We usually define wealth as the accumulation of tangible possessions. You know, that may include money, stocks, bonds, property, etc. But I really want to submit to you and reiterate what I strongly submitted to you on last week. And that is, if our definition and application of wealthy is restricted to the accumulation of material things only. If our definition and application of wealthy is restricted to money and material possessions, stock bonds, whatever have you. If that is going to be the extent of your definition and application of wealth, uh, then you're going to miss out on what life truly means. If our pursuit of wealth is the pursuit of these external tangible possessions only, then we would definitely miss out on the truest beauty 
and wonder of life. And the truest beauty and wonder of life is being in meaningful, loving relationships. Number one. Number two, a part of the truest beauty and wonder of life is being able to sow your life into making other lives bigger and better. Who are you in relationship with? Who are you involved with? Whose life are you making bigger and better? Whose life is profiting because of your presence in their life? When you include those dynamics into your definition and application of wealth, you will truly understand wealth, how to pursue wealth, and more importantly, how to deal with wealth once you obtain it. It's the truest beauty and wonder of life. Loving relationships. Fulfilling relationships. Get that together and you can understand wealth. And, and I want to go back and deal a couple of weeks with the way that we think about finances and money. Uh, maybe I should have done this at the beginning uh, before we talked about budgeting. But I really want to take a step back and take a couple of weeks here and deal with the way that we think about finances and money. Because the way we think about it and the way that we approach finances and money will determine how much we get, how much we keep how we serve others with it, and most of all, whether or not we will honor God with our finances, our wealth. And you're always going to hear that on this particular program, honoring God, because everything that we have is a result of God's grace. Everything that we have, everything that we are, everywhere that we've been and we've accomplished, it's a result of God being good. It's a result of God's grace, nothing that we deserve, no matter how hard you worked. You still got it because God is good. And so I want to take a step back for a couple of weeks here and really get back into the way that we think and the way that we feel about finances and money because that's going to determine how you think about money, how you think about finances. That's going to determine how much money you accumulate, how much wealth you accumulate in your working life, in your life as a whole. And whether or not, the most important thing it's going to determine is whether or not we will honor God. And I don't know about you, but there's nothing more important than honoring God with my personal finances and the wealth that he blesses me to obtain. So in that vein, in that vein, I want to start with some good old-fashioned solid wisdom from the Bible on how to approach the issue, the subject of personal finances. We're going to look at some biblical principles of personal finances. What does the Bible have to say? And you should not be surprised to hear that because, again, this is a Christian program. And for Christians, our first, foremost, our middle, our last authority, our greatest authority on how we live is the Bible, the Word of God. So let's get into this right here. Uh, uh, so let's look at some biblical principles on first uh, personal finances. Uh, and when I say biblical principles, please understand, first of all, I'm not talking about some spiritual get rich quick scheme. God does not owe us that. I'm not talking about uh, uh, knowing and putting into practice some biblical principles uh, uh, and then expecting God to just simply drop money out of the sky on you. 
A lot of folks today that are teaching money from the Bible. They're teaching you that the, the thrust of your spiritual life is to obtain wealth. And that's not it. The gist, the thrust, the meaning of your spiritual life is to be in right relationship with God. And that right relationship includes God handing us down principles that help us understand how to deal with our personal finances. <coughs> Biblical principles for finances does not mean that you can say some choice words a certain number of times or that you can do some exercise and expect to be rewarded financially. God is not some genie in a bottle and God is not some kind of a divine slot machine into which you can insert the right confessions and the right amount of turnarounds and the right amount of steps and, and so forth and so on. And he's just going to bless you with all kinds of material things. No, that's not the God of the Bible. God has given us wisdom to operate here in the earth and practicing his wisdom will bring to us exactly what he wants for us. When we apply our faith to his wisdom, we get his desired results for us. And let me tell you something. God does not desire that all of us have the same level of wealth, the same degree of wealth, the same amount of money. Truth of the matter is, all of us can't handle the same thing. Some of us can handle more. Some of us have to be left with less. But no matter how much you have, honor God with it and watch God bring contentment to your life. So let's look at some biblical principles for personal finances here. <coughs> We're going to call them biblical wisdom keys. Biblical wisdom keys. So wisdom key number one. Everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. Haggai chapter 2 and verse number 8 says, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord. Psalms 24 and 1 declares, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Listen, it all belongs to God. Wisdom key number one, it all belongs to God. And if you want God's hand to show up in your finances, then this has to be the conviction of your heart and the persuasion of your mind. Everything, including all the money in the world, belongs to God. It goes where God allows it to go, where God directs it to go, where God wants it to go. It go wherever it is, God has allowed it to be there, but it all belongs to God nonetheless. And we don't need to sweat who has more or who has less or even when will we get ours. God owns it all. We need to get out of the mindset that there has to be winners and losers. We need to get out of the mindset that says, if somebody else wins, that means I lose. If somebody else loses, that means I win. We have to get out of the mindset that says, I can't win unless I see somebody else losing. That's a scarcity mindset. That's a mindset that does not see enough to go around. That's a mindset that believes there's not enough to go around and that God cannot supply all of our needs. That's a mindset that does not believe God owns it all. Listen, God definitely owns it all and he can dispense it or distribute it how he sees fit, when he sees fit, to whom he sees fit.
And I'm telling you, the first and most important wisdom principle here is wisdom key number one. Everything belongs to God. Get that. Treat it like it belongs to God. See it as it belongs to God. Talk about it like it belongs to God. Uh, wrap your emotions around the fact that it all belongs to God. Everything you have belongs to God. It belongs to God. And because everything belongs to God and God blesses us with it, that brings us to wisdom key number two. Wisdom key number two says, we are stewards, not owners. We are stewards, not owners. A steward is someone who is responsible to take care of another person's goods for a period of time in that person's absence. Let me define steward for you again. A steward is a person who is responsible to take care of another person's goods for a period of time in the owner's absence. A steward is also responsible to return the owner's goods to him or her in better shape than he received them originally. And the steward is responsible to return the owner's goods with profit. With profit. What am I saying here? Well, in Matthew, the 25th chapter, Jesus tells the story of a master who was going on a long trip. And before he left for his trip, he gave talents to his servants to manage in his absence. There were three servants. Now, I'm not going over this in depth. I'm not trying to exegete scripture here. I want to give you the application of what it means to be a steward. So we're going to look at the story that Jesus tells in Matthew 25 of a master going on a long journey. He gives talents to three servants. And they're supposed to manage these talents in his absence. Now, in that day, a talent was a certain amount of money. To one servant, the master gave one talent. To another servant, he gave two talents. And to another servant, he gave five talents. Jesus' story goes that when the master returned from his trip, he called his servants into accountability. When the servants reported to the master, the servant who had received five talents had turned his five into ten. Well done, servant. The servant with two talents had turned his two into five. Well done, servant. And the servant with one talent buried his one. The master celebrated the servants with two and five talents. The master celebrated them because they took care of his goods and they brought him increase. And in response, the master gave those servants even more. But the master scolded and reprimanded the servant with one original talent because he buried it. He didn't do anything to make it better. He didn't do anything to increase it or to make it bigger. And he was scolded and reprimanded in turn for that. And then he had nerve to tell the master, I know you, so I buried it. Listen, you know nothing about the master. You know nothing about being a steward if you don't understand and know that you're responsible to care for it, to make it bigger, to make it better, and to return it to the owner with profit. Burying the one talent was the indicator that this servant was lazy, ignorant, disrespectful, and other adjectives that show he had no clue about how to manage finances and how to relate to wealth. No clue about how to manage finances. No clue 
about how to relate to wealth. Listen, approach your finances from the perspective that God has blessed you and you are a steward of his goods. And as a steward of his goods, one day you're going to have to tell God about how you handled his stuff. You're going to be called into accountability. So in the case of a lot of frivolous spending, in the case of a lot of wasteful spending, in the case of not blessing others with your wealth, with your finances, you're going to have to tell God about what you did with his stuff. All right? So that brings us to wisdom key number three. Wisdom key number three says, money is not the blessing. The power to get money is the blessing. That may sound strange to some. Money is not the blessing. The power to get money, the ability to get money, the wherewithal to get money, that's the blessing. Where do I get such a thought? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18 says, But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Remember God. When you look around at all your stuff, remember it was, the, it was God who gave you the ability to obtain it, to produce wealth, to get it all. God gave you the ability. And too many of us are making the mistake of saying that I'm blessed because of what I have. I'm blessed because of all the things that I have. And let me tell you something. The amount of stuff you have is not the sign of your closeness to God. Having a lot of stuff, even if you got it in God's name, having a lot of stuff is not the indicator that you have a close relationship with God. And then some of us try so hard to be blessed that we spend money we don't have trying to look blessed. I told you last week about the Christian radio program I heard that said uh, the, the folks who, who uh, hosted the program said that Jesus meant for us to have life and that more abundantly and that we should get our credit fixed so that we can go out and charge things and live the abundant life that Jesus promised. Well, that's the problem with all of us. We're trying so hard to look blessed that we're doing unwise things thinking that we're going to be blessed. And God does not bless stupidity. God does not bless vanity. God does not bless frivolous behavior. God just doesn't bless him. What we have is not the blessing. Things are not the blessing. Because you can commit a crime or engage in illegal and illicit activities and get things. But God will never join you in illegal, immoral, or unethical conduct. And while I'm on that line, I don't mean to bust nobody's bubble, but God did not bless you when you won the lottery. Playing the lottery goes against too many biblical principles. The things that we have are the manifestation of the blessing. The things that we have are the fruit of the blessing. What am I saying? God gives us the ability to produce and gain wealth. And God has given to every one of us the ability to gain income. That ability is in the form of gifts, knowledge, skills, abilities. You, you have income producing power inside of you that's given to you by God. 
our great failure is that we do not seek God's wisdom as to how to employ our gifts, our knowledge, our skills, and ability to exchange those for income and wealth. Wow. I said something incredibly important right there. God gives us abilities. God gives us gifts, knowledge, skills. Our great failure is that we don't seek God's wisdom as to how we could employ our gifts, our knowledge, skills, and abilities in order to exchange those for income and wealth. And the very first thing on your list of things to do in that regard is to invest in yourself. You've got to learn to invest in yourself. Devote quality time and energy into discovering God's gifts to you, God's given knowledge to you, God's skills and God's abilities so that you can do what God has put in you to do, and that is get well. Devote time into discovering your God-given gifts. Everything that God has given to you. Devote quality time to discovering it. And then seek out the wisdom through the Bible, through relationships, through experience, through knowledge. Seek the wisdom how to exchange those intangibles that God has given you for the tangibles of wealth. And more importantly, don't forget the intangible of wealth, i.e. fulfilling loving relationships. All right. That brings us to wisdom key number four. I'm hitting these pretty fast, so uh, you can always listen to the podcast again. Wisdom key number four. We need to develop ant sense. Ant sense. A-N-T. We need to develop ant sense. Where do I get that? Well, Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 7 says, Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer gathering food for the winter. Proverbs chapter 6 paints the ant. You know that little bug creature you find at the picnic uh, when you leave your food out or when you drop food on your floor. Uh, you, you come back a couple hours later and all kind of ants are around it. That little bug there, that's what I'm talking about, ants. Proverbs chapter 6 paints the ant as a diligent, hardworking, self-motivated laborer who knows the value of time. The ant doesn't need anyone to make him work. He knows that he only has a limited amount of time to gather food to last through the winter. He understands that the winter is going to be long, cold, and hard, and he only has the summer to gather enough to last all winter long. He understands that he must be diligent unless he misses the opportunity to gather what he needs to make it through the winter. The ant understands that summer is the prime time to gather. So what does this mean to you and to me? There's a purpose behind working a job especially while you're young. The ant literally gathers in the summer to store up for the winter. For you and me, summer symbolizes our younger, stronger, peak-earning years of life, our peak-accumulating years of life, our peak-income-and-wealth-growing years of life. Work hard during the summer. 
gather up, store up all you can during the summer because winter is on the way. Winter symbolizes the latter years of life when we're not as strong as we were in our earlier years. Our latter years may include an illness or another event that renders us unable to earn as we did in our younger years. For the vast majority of people on the earth, they do not earn as much in their latter years as they do in the earlier years. You've got peak earning years. That's the summer of life. That's the summer of life. In the latter years of life, we should be prepared to eat the fruit of our labors from all the years invested in our work lives, in our investment lives. Be prepared in your latter years to eat the fruit of your labor. Maybe that's where we got the idea of retirement from. Because believe you me, maybe we hit on this down the road. Retirement is not in the Bible. Retirement is not in the Bible. Okay? So, please get this. We ought to develop ant sense. Take advantage. Do as well as we can in the summer of life. Because winter is coming. And there's another moral included in this example about the ant also. An able-bodied person is responsible to work in his or her peak earning years in order to prepare for his or her latter years. If you're able-bodied, you ought to be doing something in the summer of life to prepare for the winter. I always appreciated my dad who didn't have a lot of education, but he understood the value of time. He understood the value of work. And he accepted responsibility for gathering in the summer, in the fall, what his family needed to make it through the winter. He did it whatever it took to make things happen. And we need to operate with that type of sense. We need to operate with ant sense. Do whatever you have to do to take advantage of your peak earning years to store up for your latter years. Wisdom key number five. Wisdom key number five. Listen to this. This is important. You are not your stuff. Luke 12 and 15 says, Then Jesus said, Beware, guard against every kind of evil. Life is not measured by how much you own. That's what Jesus says. In this scripture, Jesus warns us not to make the mistake of basing our sense of importance or our sense of self-worth on the things we own. Don't make the mistake of thinking that you are a better person because you own more expensive things. You're not a better person because you drive a Mercedes Benz or a Maserati or, or whatever your fancy car may be. Don't make the mistake of thinking that you are somehow better than the next person because of the house that you live in. People who make these mistakes are often taken over by greed because they always see the need to compete. No matter what the relationship is, they see the need to compete. And that greed becomes their motivator to always get more. Hence, we say they're keeping up with the Joneses. Anytime they see anybody with something new, they want something new. I don't know if you remember the little ugly car called a Yugo back a couple of decades ago. Just in case you don't remember, the Yugo was a little car imported from Yugoslavia back in the 80s. The Yugo was synonymous with cheap, ugly, and low quality. And it's a shame to drive a big-time Mercedes car, but have Yugo character. And we've got to carefully, we have to carefully monitor our attachment to our stuff. We are not our stuff. You are more than the sum total of your possessions. 
You are more, your character means more than your possessions. You need to be a person, a man and a woman of character, whether you drive a hoopty or a brand new Cadillac. Your character makes you. And even if you lose all of your tangible, worldly, material possessions, your character will tell you, live on, get up to fight and live another day. But possessions without character, when the possessions are lost, the lack of character often drives people to crime. The lack of character often drives people to pain, despair, discouragement, hopelessness, and ultimately, to suicide. Yes, it's a shame to drive a Mercedes, but have you go character. You are not your stuff. Who are you separated from your stuff? Do all of your conversations revolve around what you have? Are you measuring yourself against somebody else? Are you competing to see who can get more? Do all of your conversations lead back to material things? You're mixed up about who belongs to who. I've said this before. I've said it one more time. God has no problem with us having money and material things. As a matter of fact, God has absolutely no problem whatsoever with us having a lot of money and a lot of material things. We just have to make sure that we own the things and the things do not own us. Hey, look, I am out of time uh, talking about these wisdom keys. You know, I may come back and do some of this on next week. But listen, I'm out of time this week. I appreciate you joining in me. Do me a favor. Email me at cdhodges at hotmail.com. Let me know you're hearing. If you want to hear this again or any other broadcast, just search iTunes or any podcast player on your smart device. You can find us by searching C.D. Hodges. Search C.D. Hodges. Appreciate you joining us. We'll be right here next week. Same time, same channel. Until then, always remember, you can't have peace without surrendering your life to the Prince of Peace. God bless you. We're out.